What's going on? I'm Jonathan here with my buddy Sam and welcome to the Backseat Basketball Banter Podcast. In today's episode, we will be discussing various things including the NBA bubble and the NBA's past tying into the NBA now. So Sam, let's talk a little bit about the bubble. What are a few things that have caught your eye after watching the first few games? Yeah, man. So like we were talking about in our season preview, the race for the bottom of the West is a big thing to watch. And we've seen quite a few surprising things, honestly. The Suns and the Blazers have been putting on a show. Meanwhile, the two teams that we were predicting to be fighting out for that spot, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, are kind of letting it go. Now, that's for two different reasons. Uh, We are not seeing the amount of minutes from Zion that we thought we would. That's true. But the Grizzlies are just kind of choking what they had. Yeah, I'm like the Grizzlies we saw before. I'm a little disappointed that we're not getting Zion unleashed. I know with the injuries passed. I know he's disappointed too. Yeah. (laughs) The, the David Griffin, the GM over there is obviously playing his cards, right? You got to commend them for, although you want to put the best player on your team out there, you have to hold them back and you have to restrict his minutes because you're playing the long-term game here and his health concerns right now would be, would be a blip in, in the past, in the future. But if something did happen, they would feel somewhat responsible for just letting him go. So I'm, I am disappointed as a fan, but as, as, a, as, a, as a team, they're making the right decision, I feel. Yeah, and I the, think that they're looking at uh, big busts over the years due to injuries of super athletic guys that had a few good seasons and then just had their careers ruined by injuries. And they're trying to stay as far away from that as possible, but it's not making Zion happy. You can see him on the bench. Thinking, man, I put up 20 points in 10 minutes of action. Come on. Let me, let me get some runs, bro. Let me get some runs. I feel like the Pelicans, they, they need these games. They need to win these games to get in the playoffs. They, they face the Lakers round one, if they even get into a play in situation and take the, the eighth seed. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it is smart to just keep Zion sidelined for now. But I feel like they will unleash him in the in the coming games when these games start meaning everything to them. Yeah, but speaking of facing the Lakers, right now the Lakers are not putting up the show that you thought they would. Now, that might be because they're coasting. I think they secured that first seed. They did clinch it. They can just kind of coast all the way to the playoffs now. But on the other end, they're missing some key pieces. I feel like they need to play hard to build that team chemistry back up to where it needs to be to compete in the playoffs because they're facing either the Grizzlies or maybe the Blazers in that first round. Those are not easy outs. Sam, the, the Lakers haven't been performing poorly. They're still putting up really, really good games, winning, winning a lot of them too. But I feel like we aren't seeing them at their full strength because they're they're keeping what they got low key. They're just getting a rhythm right now, getting their feet back under them after this long break and just trying to play Lakers basketball. They they want to run the show, the Lake show is what everyone calls them obviously, but I just feel like once the Lakers get in a groove, they they secure their seating already. They just need to start playing basketball the way they do and then they'll be fine. But I don't think there's much eyebrow raising concerns here singular eyebrow that is because Anthony Davis <laughs> has been tearing it up sometimes and we've seen this from seasons before where LeBron just doesn't show up to the final few games of the season he just lets his other guys do their thing but 
out of that entire Lakers squad, Anthony Davis is the one that he, he's hungry. He's the Anthony, one that wants it more than everyone else. Anthony Davis could be the best teammate LeBron has ever played with. I mean, we we look at all the great players LeBron has played with, but Anthony Davis, I mean, come on. This guy is everything you want in a teammate. Great defender, great scorer. He can give you he could give you a great pass when you need it to. I, I don't see any – I mean, Dwayne Wade is great, obviously, oh, yeah. undeniably. You, you have to go D. Wade, bro, because as great as Anthony Davis is, LeBron's not in his prime right now. You know, so he, LeBron's okay with letting Anthony Davis be that guy. When LeBron came to Miami, D. Wade had to teach him how to win. D. Wade had to teach him how to be that champion. While D. Wade was still at the tail end of his prime. You know, I don't think you could compare the two guys. I don't, I don't think D-Wade taught LeBron how to win. LeBron needed a good team around him. He went, he got it, and he won. They won together. Dwayne Wade was – he did take a backseat to LeBron. LeBron was the man in Miami. But I feel like this is Anthony Davis's team. I know LeBron is still the man there, but – No, I completely agree. That. Anthony Davis is the man. Like, you, you need a bucket, you're going to Davis. Davis is going to be there night in and night out, scoring buckets over whoever is guarding him. It doesn't even matter. It could be Rudy Gobert, best defender in the league. He'll, he'll look like a little boy to Anthony Davis. <laughs> and it's not even just the offense. It's what he brings on the defensive end. Now, exactly. check out our NBA award predictions if you haven't already. But spoiler alert, we said Anthony Davis is a front runner for Depoy. I, it's It's – positively going to happen for me I, I just feel like Anthony Davis has it but speaking more more about the bubble I, I see a lot of these teams going into the playoffs and I see a lot of injury concerns around mm-hmm. some of these teams including the Heat and and the Pelicans too with Zion but what, what are your thoughts on teams being cautious or are these injuries problematic for some teams yeah there's some injuries that we don't know too much about and I think the biggest player right now that we don't know about is Jimmy Butler the team, the Heat really aren't putting up much information. They say it's ankle soreness, um, mm-hmm. but there's some cryptic language coming in from some of the players. Uh, I don't know if it's scary right now because all the tests are coming back negative, and I don't mean COVID tests because thankfully they have zero te- zero, zero positives in the league right now, which is which is incredible. The bubble is one of the most interesting ideas that shouldn't work but works flawlessly, and yeah. I just it's insane. But, but going back to the but injuries. by the testing I was talking about is the MRIs. So Jimmy Butler got a bunch of X-rays and MRIs, and doesn't seem like there's any breaks or fractures. But we'll see what happens. It's obviously a big loss if he can't play. But I think that they're just holding him out. He's a big bet with a lot of minutes under Tom Thibodeau, right? So yep. they want him healthy and fresh for the playoffs. They want playoff Jimmy. Um, same thing with Goron, another guy on that team that tweaked his ankle a little bit against the Celtics and a big win, honestly, for the team. I think it's okay to be cautious with those guys, especially with the Pelicans like we were talking about. Zion's a once-in-a-generational guy. You want to keep him around for the long haul. And if he, if he gets hurt now, what do they lose? They're not making it as far in the playoffs. Yeah, especially for, for the teams that already are locked into the playoffs, I don't think seeding matters that much this year mm-hmm. to them. So they're going to be extra cautious with those guys that they want to preserve their health for those those really intense playoff games. But a team that could pop off in the playoffs is the the Indiana Pacers with TJ Warren 
falling. He's 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 my bubble MVP right now. He's the best player in the bubble. Just because of the numbers he's putting up. I'm not talking about like basketball player. I'm not talking about any of that. Because we can obviously <laughs> argue there's greater basketball players in the bubble. But TJ Warren statistically is having the best bubble season. But I I just I can't I can't comprehend it. This guy is going out. He's probably missed nine three-pointers. I think that's the exact number of three-pointers he's missed. He's missed nine three-pointers in the entire bubble. They've played around like four games already. I don't even know. But they're, these numbers don't make sense. He's shooting 65%. Sam, what do you think about TJ Warren? Yeah, man, I think uh, TJ Warren's not in Jimmy Butler's league. But right now, it's it's looking like it's the other way around, right? <laughs> but no, on the real though, I think the bubble is the perfect atmosphere for those lower tier players that have the talent that you never get to see to really put on display, especially with the Pacers struggling with injuries and rotations. There's room for a big time scorer like TJ Warren to just come in and ball out for a few games. I don't know if TJ it's sustainable. Warren? He's uh, TJ Warren's been good for a long time. I know mm-hmm. he's been low key with it. Like not everybody, he's not a household name. Like not a lot of people know who TJ Warren is, but he's, he's a baller and he's yeah. proving it night in night out during this bubble season that they're having. Now, Pacers, you know, there's, there's one thing that I saw. This is on, I think it was on ESPN. They were talking about this where the players are noticing it's so much easier to shoot without like a hundred rows of fans sitting behind the basket. And I'm not even talking about because of distractions. I'm talking about because of pure aim and depth perception. It's so easy to shoot with just a wall and a basket. It feels like their local LA fitness gym. It feels like their practice arenas. It's the same repetitions. They can just come out and play pure basketball. And that's when you see pure hoopers like TJ Warren doing their thing. When in regular games with full packed arenas they might get distracted they might have other factors play into them not scoring like they do here let me stop you for a second because i do feel the fans are a big aspect on why a lot of people have shooting struggles and the perception and all of that i understand but some people feed off of these fans yep they i mean you go on a streak the arena erupts you're hot you're doing heat checks i don't see many heat checks as we did in in normal times obviously because the crowd feeds it so much a lot of these players are shooting they're getting hot and they're shooting some crazy shots but it doesn't have that same feel that same hype around it as when fans are there which i do feel affects shooting as well i feel like it makes the it makes the lower name players the ones that can't handle the spotlight as well it gives them the opportunity to ball out Whereas the guys that are used to the spotlight aren't affected, fans or no fans. You know yep. what I mean? So that's why we see guys like TJ Warren just popping off, dropping 50 points in a game. Because normally when, when everyone gets so on their feet and riled up, he doesn't rise to the occasion. But in yeah. this environment, there's no distractions. He could just do what he does best, and that's play basketball. Speaking of people who can play basketball really, really well, yeah, I want to go over to the Western Conference and look at Look at Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic has been tearing it up during this bubble season. I think the Mavs could be a sneaky, sneaky team going into these playoffs if Luka and Kristaps are playing the way they are. 
What do you think about the potential dark horse team in the Mavs? Yeah, dude. First of all, that that's a big one-two punch there with Luca and Kristaps. That could be one of the best duos in the league for for years. If mm-hmm. they stay together, they play, they stay healthy. You know, they build a big team around them. Although the team around them right now is already pretty solid. It's very good. I remember we were watching one of the games and we said something where, you know, my five-year-old nephew can score 50 on these guys because the one thing that they don't do, they don't play defense, right? The Mavs don't play fantastic defense. Right? Their goal, their goal is to outscore the other guys. Yep. Right. And they do that pretty freaking well. You know, it seems like they run a lot of teams off the court. Luka Doncic is a transcendent talent. You know, you could tell that he did not play against kids in high school and college. He played against – Well, he he played overseas. Overseas. You know, he was in a professional league since he was, what, 15 years old, right? He built up his game quick, and now he's just letting the whole league have it. I feel like (laughs) Luka – Luka – there's just no way to truly guard Luka Doncic. I know a lot of He's teams can game plan and try and double team him, but one of his most valuable assets in his game is his passing mm-hmm. and his, his playmaking abilities. Because Luka Doncic reminds me a little bit of, of Magic Johnson back in his day. A little bit. He can he can run the floor. He can do the flashy passes and get his teammates wide open. He can finish in the rim, and he can do all of these great things. And he has a shot. So I feel like Luca is just got some special gene inside of him that no matter what, he's gonna go out and, and every given night he's a walking triple double. He yeah, can, now he can I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make an interesting comparison. Are you ready for this? I'm not even gonna compare Luca to another NBA player. I'm going to compare Luka to Tom Brady. Tom Brady's 40 years old, and he's still putting up big games. And I think Luka's the kind of guy, the way he plays, he can play till he's 40 and be just as productive as he is today. Because he doesn't rely on his athleticism. He relies on his brain. He relies on his skills. He relies on solid fundamentals and footwork. And that shot is never going away. You know, so he's the type of guy that if he stays healthy – and he plays the way that he's playing, you know, all Mark Cuban has to do is put a few solid guys around him, and that's going to be a generational team. Sam, to say, to say Luka Doncic and Tom Brady's names in the, in the Listen, same – Brady wasn't the most athletic guy ever. He wasn't the highest-rated prospect by any means coming into the league. I have six reasons why he isn't Brady yet. If he gets those six <laughs> reasons, then – then maybe we can compare. Listen, I do see your point. I do see that's, that's where I'm coming from. That's yeah. that's the there. I don't even think that that's too far out of reach. That's 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 great praise for Luka Doncic. I I do see how he can be one of the greats to play basketball in the NBA. So good for him if he does expand his game to the next level and become a transcendent player like Tom Brady was. And there's a few teams that are. A, watching what he's doing right now and shaking their heads. Like, that could have been us. That could have been us. That's true. Um, and we're not going to go too deep because I feel like enough teams have – or enough people have talked about the Hawks and that big trade. But Trey Young is a certified hooper too. Yep. But one team that we were talking about before we started this uh, episode is the Suns. 
They took DeAndre Ayton with that first overall pick. Yeah, that's true. This I don't know. The Suns. The Suns always seem to mess up a draft. <laughs> I don't know why, but the Suns had a, the chance to get Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and a bunch of other great players in that draft too. I think Marvin Marvin Bagley was second overall that year. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And that don't even get us started on the Kings. <laughs> <laughs> so these te- there's a lot of teams that miss opportunity on talent, but I, I feel like they can't look back on it too much. They have to look to the f- to the future with what they have and, and what they can do with what they have. So, so what do know. they have? Right now they have a team that is undefeated in the bubble as of the recording of this. They have podcast. Devin they have Devin Booker who's a certified baller. He goes in night in, night out, scores the ball on whoever's guarding him, straight up. Like you put one of the best defenders at two guard or, or the three position and he'll score on him. He'll score on the best small forwards, which are, are supposed to be the best defenders on the teams he will go in and he'll put 40 points on you 30 points on you with ease Devin Booker brings a lot to a team I don't think the Suns are a good fit for Devin Booker because I feel like there's a lot of wasted potential because of the team put around him I don't know if Devin Booker let's say Devin Booker and CJ McCollum switch seats and Devin Booker's number two man in, in Portland I feel like Portland's Portland's untouchable there. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in the West, but you're giving me two of the best shooters in the league. I'm not saying CJ McCollum isn't one of the best because he is, but Devin Booker has the ability to to do game time kind of things. He can win the games in heroic fashion. He can do all these things. And I feel like that that little switcheroo could – could potentially change the way that the game is played. Yeah, now now I have two big concerns with Devin Booker, and I hope he he proves himself in in one or the other ways. Um, and that's his defense and his ability to play with another star. Yeah. Um, now we've seen guys like James Harden who have been atrocious defenders turn it around. So he's he still has very, time. He's a he's young. Playing, He's playing very good defense in the bubble right now. He's locking Giannis down. He's locking all these yep. great players down. And I, I'm really excited to see his improvement. Yeah, so so Devin Booker has time to turn it around. He's a young guy. But the big thing that I want to see is can he handle not being the guy, you know, on a team? Like, like you said, if he were to be traded somehow in some way to Portland, it wouldn't be his team. It would be Dame's team. You know, you know? but – I wouldn't mind seeing him take a Clay Thompson role. But I want to for see example. He, I want to see how he handles that, you know. He, I mean, how can he fits tell me something that Clay Thompson has that Devin Booker doesn't. Obviously maybe the, the better shooting. Devin Booker isn't a terrible defender sin. No, but he's not a lockdown. He's he's being hid in that in that scheme, you know. So what's stopping so what's guys? stopping him from being a great second player? Or even getting a good player that feeds off of him. Yeah. Like, and what can what, what's it, say? It, it could be the ego. You know, a lot of guys just cannot handle being the second man. And we've seen, for example, just to bring it back to the Blazers, um, Carmelo Anthony was so reluctant to not be the guy. Right. And that cost him a lot of years where he had the potential to be the second or third best guy in a championship roster if he just took that back seat. So now that he's on the Blazers and he's accepted that role, he's hitting big shots. You know, he's, he's doing what the team needs. And 
They're seeing a little bit of success here in the bubble. It might be a little too little too late because they had uh, all their big guys out for the regular season. But, listen, they keep that team together. They add one or two more pieces. That could be exciting, you know. So, same idea with Devin Booker. Can he take a backseat and see the bigger picture to be on a winning team? That's a very good point you bring up, Sam. I, I do feel like the bubble has brought a lot of topics to us that are very exciting and very um, inspiring. You see a lot of these stories, and they're they're just truly cool and, and interesting mm-hmm. things to look at. It's an interesting time to be an NBA fan, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. So make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to this video. I know you may be listening to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or various other streaming platforms. We really appreciate your engagement and hope you guys become regulars in watching our podcast. Yeah, Moving, if you, if you yeah. like this, please share it with all your friends. We don't have the budget to do ridiculous marketing campaigns like some of these other podcasts. So we really just rely on word of mouth. But if you like it, please just share it to a couple of friends. And let's move on to the next topic. Yeah, so... Sam, we've seen some players have historically great seasons in the past. And when, when I think of the greatest season of all time, I feel like nothing can really beat Steph Curry's unanimous MVP mm-hmm. season. So let's say the past 40 years, who has had the better regular season? Steph Curry or maybe another player? Yeah, so I want to start just talking about Curry, right? Because what Curry did in that one year changed the game forever, right? You see players now, like kids growing up, hooping. They're all shooting threes off the dribble, off the pass, off the handoff. It's no longer just the one guy that spots up in the corner and waits for the ball, right? They're running around screens. Kids Kids are emulating that game. Mm-hmm. Right, because people saw Curry and they were like, I can do that. Right, because he's not this seven footer, you know, 300 pounds just bullying everyone out of the way. Right, he has a normal frame. A lot of kids think I could do that. So, I wish I could of, do that. <laughs> um, but a lot of kids look at that and they say, Hey, if I just practice shooting, I can do that. You know, so in terms of changing the game, he's he's changed the game with that one season alone. But hey. does that make it? the best single season. I agree with you that Steph Curry had, he changed the game, but going back to that 73 and nine Mm -hmm. season, we're talking regular season only. We all know what happened. 72, (laughs) 72 and 10 has a better ring to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you could look at that regular season and he broke almost every statistical shooting record there is. Most threes, 50-40-90 club. There's – that was the most fun I had watching basketball in my entire life. I know I wasn't around during the Jordan era and all of these greats in the past. But in my lifetime, I feel like that one season was more exciting than any of Kevin Durant's best seasons or LeBron's best season, maybe even Kobe's. That Curry season changed the way the NBA landscape looked. And to see that, it was really, really cool. Let's, a few of those players that I name dropped right there are 
potentially had one of the best seasons. I want to personally. I feel like this is the best season. I'm Are you going to talk about Jordan. Yeah, I'm going oh, eighty-seven. Jordan. <laughs> I'm going eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Jordan. Yep. So in that year, Michael Jordan won MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. He was first team All NBA, first team All Defense, and he was All Star Game MVP. Not to mention he was scoring leader and slam dunk champion and leader in steals the entire season. Michael Jordan, I I obviously didn't see this in person, but after watching last, last dance, dance, baby. Yeah, <laughs> after watching the last dance and obviously doing research throughout my lifetime because mm-hmm. I I was in, like inspired by Michael Jordan. Although I didn't see him, I would watch his highlights. I would watch his games. I was just feeding off of the energy because I would look at those games and I would be like, this, this man was, was what I look at Kobe and LeBron and all these transcendent players of this era. Mm-hmm. So that year, I feel like is untouchable by Jordan. I feel like it's his best statistic year. I know he had one of the best years of basketball in 95, 96, because that's including postseason and all of those things. But, we're talking regular season. Michael Jordan in 87-88 averaged 3.2 steals and 1.6 blocks. We see these numbers today in our NBA from any two guard in the league. And we'll be like, did I read that right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense to see a, a, a two with 1.6 blocks and 3.2 steals. He was all over the defensive, the defensive plays. He was the man on defense and on offense. And I've Curry was the the Warriors hid Curry on their defensive scheme. They switched a lot. They had Draymond Green, so he would be he would be able to guard a lot of the times the one when Curry switched off to help somewhere else. Because he was a great team defender, but not a very good individual defender. Exactly. So once they built that scheme around Curry, I feel like like Curry's performance looked a lot better. Yeah. Now one thing about Jordan, and this is a little segue. um, We weren't around during that time, right? This was the era of basketball before we were able to watch, but you know, the way I learned, I don't know how you started really learning about that uh, legacy for me. It was in 2k 11 when they had those historic, uh challenges where they would throw you into a jordan game and there's the i think it was 10 scenarios and if you won you got a pair of shoes for your my player i used to i used to play that on the wii sam yeah that's going back um i remember that was like my first game that i had or something the first Mm -hmm. 2k game that's for sure um and then you just go through all of those challenges and by the end of it you'd be like damn i I remember that when someone would talk about yeah. it. <laughs> and you, you experienced it. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but you learned a little bit of that, that uh, piece of basketball history, man. And uh, 87, 88, that's before he, he learned how to be a champion. They didn't win that year. But we're talking strictly regular season. Yep. Um, and he just did it all. Um, Now, if we wanted to extend it to postseason, we can say a lot of other guys. That's what we're trying to narrow it down to. to Just best regular season. possible. Um, Obviously, you could say LeBron. LeBron's always fantastic. Kobe had some great seasons. Um, There is one season in recent memory that can challenge both of these guys. And that's Russell Westbrook's triple-double season. 
All right. So quickly for what I want to say about Westbrook. We know he's rebound hunting out there. Oh yeah. We we both see it. He's he's he plays for stats, he plays for all these accolades, which is cool. You know, it's a, it's not a bad thing, but a lot of people do diss him and take away from his game because he does hunt for those and they say maybe it could cost his team a few wins every now and then. But to average a 30 point triple double throughout an entire season deserves some re- like recognizability that season in itself will go down as one of the greatest seasons. I mean, we talk about it comparing it to Oscar Robertson, who was one of the pioneers of what basketball is today. Westbrook, yeah. Westbrook emulated his game, basically. We are seeing the modern-day Oscar Robertson. And the and game was so different back then, too. 100%. So to do that now with all these guys who are – you know, this is, I guess, they were professional back then. They're super professional now. Right? Exactly. They're, they're, those are professional humans playing basketball. These are like superhumans. These are, you know, these, these are athletic peak of so what we can do. Back then, <laughs> back then, we used to see basketball players who were, who were elite, but they were just elite to their competition. Now we're mm-hmm. seeing elite face elite, and we're seeing who is more skilled and what they can bring to the table that another person can't and what traits make you more valuable than other people. So yeah. I feel like Westbrook Westbrook's season was very good in, in 2016, 2017, but another MVP that I wanted to talk about is Kevin Durant in 2013, 2014, who had the scoring champion. He was MVP that season with 32 points per game, seven rebounds and around five assists. But Katie was tearing up the league. And that's a young KD. He's not he's even. he's going no. hard. Nope, 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 nope. Let's you seem to him. forget, dude. He wasn't the MVP that season. His mom was the real MVP. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. KD. He was <laughs> No, no, I'm I'm just playing though. But KD had an incredible season that year. Um, and it really just one of the biggest what ifs of all time. If they kept KD, Westbrook, and Harden all together, what could yeah. they have done as a team? One hundred percent. But no, definitely KD had an incredible year that year. Um, and again, we're only talking regular season. It's kind of interesting how most of the the seasons we mentioned, actually all of them, they didn't go on to win the championship that year, yep. uh, which is kind of interesting. But that's I guess what happens when you have one guy that just rises above all the rest. You need a team to win a chip. But we're so, recognizing individuals right here. So let me get it. Who has had the best NBA regular season of all time for the past 40 years? You know, I think for me, it comes down to just Curry or Jordan. And Jordan gets the edge with the deep poise, the slam dunk champion. You know, what he was doing both on, on offense and on defense. Um, yeah, for me, it has, to, it has to go down to that Jordan year. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the Jordan, but Steph Curry is just right there. <laughs> I'm not going to take anything away from it. You don't want to take both, anything away. They're both in ridiculous seasons. So kudos to both of those players for putting up numbers I've never seen before. And honestly, it was amazing to watch Steph Curry, but you can't you can't take away anything from those prime Jordan years. I think nothing could beat that. 
Yeah. And again, the big thing about Curry being so great is that he, he does what you think you would be able to do if you just trained enough. No one can replicate what Jordan did. Right, no one can just but, I don't think, the free throw line and dunk on an entire team through contact. I don't think like people did. can replicate Steph Curry's game, though. I mean, yeah, they can use it as a model to build their mm-hmm. own, but Steph Curry, I mean, the closest we get to him is Damian Lillard, who's really, really great. Yeah, but Steph Curry's still he's on another he's still, level. Yeah, like he's, there's he's one the honorable mention. I do want to say there's one honorable mention. Okay, I was looking through the stats. I don't know too much about uh, the specifics of the season, but Moses Malone in eighteen in uh, nineteen eighty one and eighty two, eighteen eighty one, eighteen eighty one before <laughs> basketball was invented. <laughs> My bad. Um, no, but uh, he averaged thirty one points, almost fifteen boards, and almost two assists. That's crazy. That is yeah. incredible numbers. Yeah, you know that's what? a great season. He didn't win the championship that year either. He won it the next year when he was also the MVP and averaging almost the same exact numbers. Um, so that, that's a big honorable mention. Just those numbers are insane too. Yeah, a lot of credit goes out to those those goats from the past and goats from the present. Who have... And who knows, maybe we'll see uh, some even crazier MVP seasons in the coming years. Yeah, I'm... I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. We didn't mention James Harden, but he had a great one too. But let's oh, yeah. let's move on to our next segment, which is who would you start your franchise around? So, Sam, I'm going to give you four players, and you tell me who you would start your franchise around. Mm-hmm. So it's between Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Rudy Gobert. Who would you start your franchise around? All right, that's a tough one. So I'm going to break down, I guess, the pros and cons of each guy and then give my pick. Um, that's how I'm going to do this. So Gobert, we know what he does on defense, right? He is, I think, right now the only player in the NBA where you can run an entire defensive scheme around one guy, right? Just one. funnel everyone into the lane, drive everyone off the three-point line, and let Rudy do his thing in the paint. No one protects the rim like he does, for no. sure. So, so that's, that's his big – Right, that's why he stands up above the rest in terms of defense. But on offense, really, you can't rely on him to do anything. Um, maybe a lob threat. I maybe think he the has occasional post pass. He has the um, most dunks in the NBA, I believe. So you can rely yeah. on the the close range game domination. But you need someone else to set him up for those. You yeah, know, he, he doesn't create. So exactly, I, I think that he's a great option, but I don't know if he's the great option to build your entire franchise around. Um, we've seen Utah for me, being being great um, in the regular season, and then just when the going gets tough in the playoffs, they can't perform. If you want a franchise guy, I say you need to perform. For me, you know? let me let me give my piece on Gobert for a second because I do feel very very strongly about Rudy Gobert. Ever since he's came into the league, he's had my eye. I mean, when back in the days we used to play fantasy basketball, I picked him up the second I could because I Ooh, saw – He's a stat sheet stuffer yeah. on, on uh, fantasy. Gobert is one of my favorite players to watch. I just love the defensive intensity he brings, and, and you see how opponents are scared to even put the ball in the paint. That being said, his liability on offense does raise questions when you're starting a franchise. Because when you start a franchise, you need somebody that's going to carry the load on both ends, not just on one end. So 
that brings me into my next person that I want to talk about, which is Joel, the process Embiid, or as the person on Jeopardy would like to say, dual 180 Embiid. Joel Embiid is one of the best centers at in, in basketball right now. And I've, a lot of that is because of his offensive dominance. He is one of the best low post scorers who can stretch the floor beyond the arc and just brings a lot of intensity on offense. Not to mention his defensive game is ridiculous too. He's not as good as Gobert, but he's up there. Joel Embiid is probably one of the best defenders in the league just by talking as a true defender standpoint for a big, because there's a lot of threes that can play really, really solid defense. But I feel like Joel Embiid might have the edge on Gobert here because Embiid does have a lot of offense that he can bring to your team, which also makes other players feed off of him. Yeah. Um, I think Embiid is great. My big concern about Embiid is can he sand the floor? Mm-hmm. right he's had a ton of injury concerns in the past I think this was his first year where he actually played the majority of the games um now obviously it was cut short so you know who knows what would have happened if there was an extra 20 25 games left in the season but thankfully it seems like he was able to stay on the floor when the team needed him this season if that continues that's fantastic he is definitely a powerhouse down there right sure. he's one of those bigs you don't want to go against but a lot of teams have started to figure him out. He seems a little too ready to shoot the three when he's a below average shooter from beyond the paint, right? When he's aggressive, when he's locked in and he's going hard in the paint and dishing it out to the guys on the wings who can shoot, it's another story there. So speaking, I, I definitely agree with you there. Speaking of a guy who can pass, can shoot, and can run on offense at the center position, I want to talk about Nikola Jokic for a minute. Yep. who is probably one of the most exciting young players in the NBA to watch, making the Nuggets one of the, one of the best teams in the West. And with a good young core around him, showing us that he could be a player you start a franchise around without a question. So Nikola Jokic obviously has some defensive concerns. He's not what Gobert and Embiid are defensively, which could – give them an edge. But at the same time, Nikola Jokic elevates his team's play way, way more than Gobert and Embiid ever could on offense. Jokic's passing ability opens the floor. It's it's ridiculous how you see one guy in the corner of the left eye, he sees him in the wing, <laughs> and he's he, he sees him for a second, looks the other way to the right, and throws a pass that way. And and you're like, how does this guy have the ability to do this? He was just born with that. He, I mean, yeah, he's worked a lot for it, but you can't teach that. You can't teach the skill he has. And when starting it's a franchise, intuition. yeah, exactly. Jokic is just a savvy player. He's he's really good at what he does, and he knows it, and he knows his weaknesses, which I feel could benefit a franchise really if you're starting around one of these centers. What do you think about Jokic? Yeah, man. I think we talk so much about uh, the guys in the Nuggets. People are going to start thinking we're the biggest Denver fans. And we're not, but we got to recognize game. And, and Jokic has got it. You know, uh, I completely agree with what you said. He's not, you know, the star defensive player. But I feel like when you're starting your franchise around a guy, you can fill in the defensive pieces. 
you can't find many guys better than Jokic at what he does. Jokic is a point guard. He's a point guard in the center's body. Yeah, he runs an offense, and that honestly gives him such an advantage. He sees over the heads of smaller players who are trying to guard him. If he's guard, if if a big guy is guarding him, he'll just beat him off the dribble. His foot speed is honestly a lot faster than you would think, right? He's kind of a big, hefty guy. He's lost some weight, but he has a quick first step. He gets by guys, and you think, wait, him? He just beat me off the dribble. He's also really good at, at what I see as balancing. He's got yeah. a great balance. So he'll be posting someone up and feel their body shift a little bit to the left. And then he'll hit a spin move to the right without even thinking. And he'll be like, this is, this is the move I have to do because it's open. Yeah. He shoots off one leg. He shoots off balance. He can knock down. Out of all the guys we're talking about, he's the one I would trust the most shooting from beyond the arc. He doesn't have any concerns at the free throw line. You can't just, you know, hack him and send him to the line and get him out of the game. Um, And the big thing, so when you're talking about starting your franchise, he makes everyone else better. He makes you look good. All you have to do is just kind of stand wide open and he'll find you, you know. And he'll make you wide open even if you're not. He'll somehow find a way to get the ball, you know, nutmeg a player, you know, and, and get it to you. He'll get you the ball if you're anywhere close to being open. Yep. So, so that that's what he brings to the table. There's another center that I have in mind. When I, I look at the list of the three that we just mm-hmm. spoke about, and I don't know if he's there yet, but we're starting a franchise, and he's a really young guy. Carl Anthony Towns is a player that I wouldn't be upset with starting a franchise around. Well, none he's, of these guys are. Yeah. But, I mean, when you're comparing it to these three, can we fit Carl Anthony Towns in this list? He brings a lot to the table when it comes to basketball. I mean, he can stretch the floor. He brings some of that defensive intensity that you see in Gobert. Not as much, but he's up there with one of the best defensive centers when he's like at his peak defense. I don't know. I feel like Carl Anthony Towns has a lot of potential still. Joel Embiid, Jokic, and Gobert, we kind of know what they are. We kind of know their game. Cat hasn't fully developed. We see that. Um, So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to talk about Cat. So, I think he has ridiculous potential like you were talking about. But I'm going to go back a few years. The last time the uh, the Timberwolves actually made the playoffs, um, it was Jeff Teague, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Cat as their big four, right? They made the playoffs that year. And Mm -hmm. the very next year, they had a big falling out because Jimmy Butler said, Andrew Wiggins and Cat, they do not have their heads in the game. They don't have that X factor, that it factor. You know, you watch some guys and you just look at them and you're like, yeah, they have it. You know, they might not be the most talented on the floor, but they have it. You know, they want to win. They'll do anything it takes. And when you got a guy like Jimmy Butler saying that you don't have it, and then, you know, he leaves your team and your team just stinks, right? You go from playoffs to one of the worst teams overnight. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would be comfortable – having a team built around a guy like that all right so let me the kind of guy that wants to go to work make his money play basketball for a living travel the country travel the world you know make a big name for himself but never do too much never be uncomfortable 
right? I don't know if he's the kind of guy that would take a team into the promised land. Okay. So with Cat, I feel like his potential, he could be a DeMarcus Cousins type of center where he goes in and bullies whoever's guarding him, backs him down. If DeMarcus Cousins never got those injuries, he would be on this list for sure because a healthy DeMarcus Cousins three years ago is someone I would take over any of these players. DeMarcus Cousins was the center. Nobody could touch him. He was miles ahead of anybody. But those injuries have obviously set him back a lot. But I wouldn't be – I wouldn't be – I'd be hesitant taking him, but I wouldn't be too worrisome. Compared to these guys, you can't can't put him in right now. But DeMarcus Cousins – when talking about these great centers, we can't we can't leave them out. I just feel like it's not right. The injuries that's like leaving Isaiah Thomas completely out of the situation when three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, he was the king of the fourth. Untouchable. Yeah. But And but going, we're only talking about centers here. Mm-hmm. No, but I was just comparing Yeah, 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 yeah. Cat to him. To to Marcus and then leading in. But So if you had to pick one, we gave the pros and cons. Gave our thought process. You really can't go wrong with anyone, but if you had to settle on one guy. I feel like Cat is a step below all of these players. So I wouldn't take him. The, the possibility of him being a great player is what would lead me into him, but I'm going to have to eliminate him. Right now I'm looking at Joel Embiid, and I have to trust the process. <laughs> if I'm starting a franchise around from scratch – with one the player, Honolulu Luau's. The Honolulu Luau's. <laughs> it would be Joel Embiid. I would happily take him and and build around him because Joel Embiid can bring it in both ends of the night, uh, both ends of the court at any given night, and that's what you need when starting a franchise. Yeah. Uh, so when I'm looking at this short list, um, like like you did, I, I I agree with you. You cut Cat out as probably the first guy to go. Um, and that's for what I said, right? I want a guy that you could trust to have his head in the game. Um, the, the next guy I cut off the list, and it's kind of tough to do this, but it's probably Gobert, right? On offense, he just doesn't bring it. And as great as the defense is, we're starting to franchise here. Uh, you need both ends of the floor to be mm-hmm. built up. So while I agree with you that Embiid is a baller, um, and definitely you can't go wrong with picking him, I trust Jokic just a little bit more to run that offense and you can find a few defensive pieces if you're starting a franchise to cover up for any shortcomings he has on that end that's very true i pick on Jokic. yeah so i Jokic and Embiid are two very different players Embiid is way more dominant Mm -hmm. but speaking of dominant players sam i'm gonna take us into a blast from the past and a present day player Mm mm-hmm who to you is the more dominant player, Giannis Antetokounmpo or Shaquille O'Neal? Whew. Well, I'm going to start off by saying that Shaq is probably one of the most dominant players ever. Okay. Uh, not many teams could stop him. Not many people could stop him one-on-one. But he had one weakness, and that was his free throw shooting. Okay. And teams figured out that you don't have to stop Shaq in the paint. You don't have to stop him in the post. All you do is smack his hands a couple times, send him to the free throw line, and he'll be too scared to do 
anything. The team won't pass him the ball anymore. You know, he won't do what he has to do. And it's kind of a shame. You know, if he could have gotten his free throw shooting up to maybe that uh, low 70s mark, right, he would probably be the greatest player of all time. Um, what Shaq did, you can never understate it. But I'm going to look at Giannis for a second, and he's still so young. I think it's a little unfair to compare, you know, one of the all-time greats to a guy that's still so young. We're just looking at their dominance factor. But we're looking at the dominance, and Giannis has such an expanded all-around game. He's starting to get a little better at shooting from beyond the arc recently. His free throws, while not perfect, they're not as much of a liability. You can still feel comfortable leaving him on the floor. Um, if the team starts hacking at him, right? And it's a little unfair, but the game has expanded so much that he has so many shooters around him that he can just get his way in the paint. He doesn't even have to bully as hard as Shaq had to, right? So it's a little unfair to say Giannis uh, because of the way the NBA has changed, but I feel like Giannis has an easier time being more dominant. let Let me say this about Shaq. You said Giannis had all the, has all these people around him that he can pass the ball to and, and take him out of sticky situations. Shaq played with great, great players yep. like Hardaway, Kobe, Wade. So Shaq did. LeBron for a year. Yeah, LeBron for a year in Cleveland. But Shaq always had somebody that when things weren't going for him, he could look to them to take over. So but I'm, I'm talking about sheer dominance. There have been players in the NBA, like Hakeem Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing or David Robinson, mm-hmm. who are straight dominant. I look at Shaquille O'Neal, and he is miles ahead of any player that I just mentioned. Oh, miles ahead of Hakeem? In the dominance factor, okay. yes. Okay. Let me say why. Because Shaq would go in, regardless of the matchup, could be Yao Ming, could be whoever, and he would back them down and do the same move every single time. He would push them far into the paint just so he could get a little hook in and stuff the ball into the rim. Every single time it would work. And... To see a player that dominating, that he could just do the same thing every night and no one can be able to stop him (laughs) is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We see Giannis now expanding his game. Shaq didn't need to expand his game. Shaq's game was the game. Shaq would go and he would do what he wanted. Giannis does what he can with what is given to him. He plays around the defense. Shaq destroyed the defense. Yeah. Um, and Shaq didn't just destroy defenses. Shaq had so much force. Yep. That they had to completely redesign the regulation NBA basket and rim and backboard because he would destroy them yep. by himself. So I see where you're coming from there. I think that... Um, if you're just looking at pure, I guess, physical dominance, then yeah, Shaq by far, right? He would just stick his butt out and send a guy flying. <laughs> you know, Giannis needs a little bit more of a head of steam to do what, what Shaq would do. But if you're talking about dominating 
on the offensive end of the floor or on the defensive side too, because let's not forget basketball is a two-way game, right? Um, I, I feel like Giannis is just a more versatile Swiss army knife kind of guy where he can back people down, um, but he also has a few other tricks up his sleeve that Shaq didn't have. Exactly. So I do have to give the, the nod to Shaq. Mm-hmm. I feel like even the greats don't come close to him. Giannis isn't just there yet, but not there yet. Who knows? Who knows? We we might be talking differently in five, ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I was saying it's a little unfair because of just how young Giannis really is. Uh, his pro- he's not even in his prime yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he. I'd say, I'd say he's he's in the beginning of it. He's in the beginning of his prime, but he's not quite there yet. Um, at least I, I'd like to think he isn't. I like to think he has another notch or two that he can up his game. And it's the same arc we've seen with all the greats, right? We've seen the arc with Jordan and LeBron of them having all this great athleticism, but they need to refine their skills. And that's what we're seeing Giannis do now. Okay. Right. He's, he's has, you know, the body of the next great. So let's just see if he can get the skills of the next great. So do you agree with me that Shaq is more dominant? Yeah. As of right now, I, I agree. I think he has that one weakness, but man, he would just bully people. It's bully ball. Yeah. Giannis does Giannis does emulate a lot of Shaq's bully ball potential. It's, it's a modern it's a yeah. modern Shaq. Exactly. It's a modern day Shaquille O'Neal style bully ball. Yeah. So obviously Shaq has had these crazy moments in the finals with Kobe throwing him a lob and dunking it and all these cool things which is one of my favorite moments from watching the NBA. Yeah, when, when he would uh, put his arms out and run yeah. around the floor screaming as loud as he can. Yep. <laughs> so I want to quickly highlight our top three NBA moments in our lifetimes, you know, that we experienced and, and got fond of over the years. So I'm going to start with something that's very near and dear to me which was being able to go to a Miami Heat game seven, which was in 2011-2012. The yeah. Heat faced off against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I was fortunate enough to go to game seven that year electric. where the environment was electric. I went, even before we got into the arena, first of all, parking was ridiculously expensive <laughs> because there hasn't been a game with that like hype to it that season so far so all of these all of these parkings are full we have to walk I don't know how long but when we're walking the streets are completely closed and all of the players all of the people in the street we're not even in the arena yet everybody's chanting let's go eat let's go eat (laughs) and like I'm 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 12 years old at this time I'm chanting with them like super happy super excited with my my grandfather and Mm -hmm. like it was probably the peak happiness like it was just so fun and it was just a great atmosphere the entire game the heat dominated we knew the game was over like heading into the fourth quarter it was just LeBron dropped like 30 yeah he, he played very very well I'm pretty sure he dropped 30 but like that was the most electric I've been to a lot of heat games over the years, but that one was miles ahead of anything I've been to just because of the sheer excitement factor that was in that game. 
Yeah, I have I have a Heat game story too, and it's not as uh, historic of a game on the you know the national scale, the the basketball history scale, but it's near and dear to my heart uh, because of how interesting the what happened was. So we had tickets to a game against Philadelphia 76ers. And this was before the process, you know, fully came together. This is back when they were still building up that team. So it was kind of cheap tickets. We were in the nosebleeds. Uh, wasn't really thinking much of it. And it was pouring that day. So my dad, I was little at the time. I think I was like 14, 15. Um, he was like, let's just sell these tickets. We'll get better seats for a better team. You know, we're going to have a better experience. I don't want to drive through the rain. And I was like, ah, I mean, I kind of excited. I wanted to go to this one. He's like, all right, all right, fine. So we drove through the rain all the way to the heat arena. Um, we were about two hours early and we had our Wade jerseys on, right? This was the year I think that LeBron left the team. We had our Wade jerseys on. We were sitting in the nosebleeds two hours before the game. And there's one other group family sitting right in front of us one row in front of us and they were wearing LeBron jerseys right and then we see this camera guy come out um and the heat host I think his name is Uptown Dale um mm -hmm. and he walks up to the family in front of us and he talks to them and then he he looks at his camera guy and he shakes his head and he comes up to us and then he goes hey how would you guys like free courtside seats and we're like what Damn. and he goes free courtside seats we're gonna give you an upgrade all you have to do is you know at halftime we're gonna you know show you and you're gonna wave and whatever and i'm like uh yeah of course i want that so we get in the elevator to go down to the courtside and my dad asks him so you walked up to them first why why us not them he goes listen man if i wanted to tell you the truth it's because they were wearing a number six and you were wearing a number three <laughs> we're not trying to put that lebron jersey up on the jumbotron so you guys got lucky because you're annoyed <laughs> so funny. so we watched the rest of that game uh courtside uh it was an incredible experience i've been to a bunch of other more maybe historic games but that was my uh best personal heat experience and, for sure and basketball experience right that's that's what basketball is all about yeah right? it's making those little magical moments yeah, speaking of a more basketball mm -hmm. kind of moment that I experienced in my life, it's going back a few years when Kevin Durant was still in Oklahoma and they played the Memphis Grizzlies in the first, in one of the rounds of the playoffs. I'm not I'm not sure when it was. But I when somebody asks me of what my favorite NBA play is, this just come straight into my mind. I was a big KD fan back in the day when when he was in OKC. Before he was, he was a snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's the, he the game the game looks in shambles. And Russell Westbrook has a ball on the left side of the court and loses the ball a little bit. And as he's falling out of bounds, he sees Kevin Durant in the corner with zero room to breathe. Kevin Durant is smothered by defenders. And he dishes the ball to KD as he's falling out of bounds. And KD literally picks up the ball from the right, from the left side of his body. As he's falling backwards, swings it to the right side of his body and shoots the most, most unorthodox shot I've ever seen. And it went in. But that, that wasn't even anything until you hear the whistle called too. And it was an end one to get the team within one possession to 
for eventually force overtime in the game. The crowd, I, I, I watched that play earlier before we made this, this podcast, and it literally gave me goosebumps. I miss, I miss the crowds in the NBA. Nothing, nothing will mean more to those players and, and to those things than, than feeding off of that energy when every single person in the arena is standing and screaming at the top of their lungs. Because a lot of these people that go to the games, they don't really know as much about basketball as some of us do, Sam, but they know when something crazy happens. And that play at OKC was probably the craziest play I have witnessed in my entire life. One of the most clutch plays, one of the most clutch plays, and one of the most do-it-yourself kind of thing. Like they could, they yeah. that wasn't in the that wasn't in the playbook. Uh, no, I don't think anyone could have scripted for him to shoot the ball pretty much from his from his hips. You know, yeah. just throw it up and pray that it goes in, and it went in, right? And everyone went wild. And you're right. I feel like you know, winning big playoff games. Every team wants to win the championship, right? Every team wants that but it means so much more when you're doing it either in front of your own home crowd or spoiling the night of the other team, right? So, so I I see what you mean with the fans. Um, I'm going to go to another super clutch moment and it happened just recently um, last year. This is Kawhi's big game seven drilling shot against the Sixers. It's one of the most iconic photos in recent memory of Kawhi sitting on the floor, Joel Embiid can't believe the shot just went in. Um, but it's more how the shot went in. Rather Wait, than one second. That that moment gave us two very iconic photos. That photo, and then the Joel meme of him crying, crying in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Continue. but I'm looking. I'm looking more on the positive end of things. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen a, a teenage basketball movie. How does the game always end? It ends on a game-winning shot where it clanks five times off the rim, does a little swirl like it's a toilet bowl, and then by the grace of God, it goes in. That's what this shot felt like. I think it bounced four times off the rim up and down before it finally bounced in. Um, Everyone was holding their breath in Toronto, um, and that team ended up going on to win the championship. So really, that was the turning point of the season for them. Uh, in game seven of uh, the semifinals in the conference. And that, yeah. that shot was huge for them. Huge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, cool. the energy, again, with the home – at a home game when the entire arena erupts and literally just up, up a funeral. That shot was a funeral. It put the, <laughs> the, the Sixers season away. And we haven't seen many game clinching – Round clinching shots. I mean, the Damian Lillard one comes to mind. Ooh, with done it, three seconds to go. Done it a few times. He's done it against the Rockets and the Thunder. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. He waving that, goodbye. That, that play when I was yeah. That play when I was watching it left me speechless. Um, obviously the Damian Lillard one too. Honorable mention for me, but. For my last one, it goes near the heart, and it still feels unreal talking about it, but when Kobe had his farewell tour come to an end, 
and he closes it closes it out with a sixty point game to finish his career is is more more Kobe the more Kobe the most Kobe thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so you see that every celebrity's at that game. Snoop Dogg going crazy on the sideline, moving his shoulders back and forth, <laughs> looking like God knows what. But looking back on it now, that game means more to me as a basketball fan than probably any other game. Like that was the last time like I I ever saw one of the greats play play the game. And to know to know what happened to him after he retired and unfortunately passed in a terrible accident that killed many other people too. Mm-hmm. It's it's just very unfortunate, but it makes it makes. I, I went back, Sam, and I watched that game. I watched that game. It's unreal because I had goosebumps the entire time I was watching it. Yeah, I remember uh, the way that the play calling was. He hit 50. Can he go for more? 60 points, Kobe Bryant. You know, and then his big speech at the end of the game, Mamba out, drops the mic. It's crazy. Before the game, Shaq challenged Kobe to get 50. (laughs) You know, he has to outdo it. He has to outdo Shaq. Kobe looked at him and said, I'll go get 60. Yeah. Um, now I want to end it on one more note because uh, this is that that might have been actually one of the greatest basketball games, um, but obviously the Lakers didn't make the playoffs that year. The Jazz had already clinched it, so they were taking the night off. They let the legend do his thing, right? Um, I want to say one more game that or one more moment that really mattered um, because it happened in the NBA Finals. Um, and this was right when I was really starting to get into basketball um, as a kid. This was the 2013 NBA Finals when Ray Allen saved the Miami Heat. Um, I remember that play call. I could still repeat it pretty much word for word, right? Shot by James, no good. Rebound, Bosch. Back out to Allen, his three-pointer. Bang! Right, whenever I hear that, Right, goosebumps instant. Um, that that was such an iconic moment. Um, that was the turning point of that series, uh, which was incredible on both teams. I think neither team can really feel bad about the way they played in that that series. Um, there were so many things that had to go right for that to happen. Um, it, it just such an incredible shot in uh, a young uh, Heat fan's life. <laughs> You know, um, just watching that shot go in, everyone was counting us out, right? So many people had already left the stadium, right? The yellow tape was out. Everyone was saying, it's over, the game's over, just go home. And then Ray Allen saves the season right there in one shot. Yeah, I remember watching that when I was at my house. Mm -hmm. And I I jumped and screamed so loud (laughs) when it went in that I, I dropped my phone and I thought, it had shattered. Luckily, it didn't. But I don't know. It was just that shot is going to go down as one of the best shots I've seen. Obviously, mm-hmm. that is a, that is a great moment. 
not only as Heat fans, but as NBA fans, I'm sure they can agree on us that that is probably one of the best basketball moments that they've they've yeah. seen too. Although at the moment, in the moment, everyone is rooting against the Heat, right? Because they're the villains of the NBA. Um, it's not until LeBron went back home to Cleveland and won a chip there that people started looking at those Heat years a little differently. Mm-hmm. But but as a kid in, in South Florida, right, you watch that and you're just you're crossing your fingers, you're hoping it goes in, and then wow, bang. Yep. You know, um, I remember my heart dropped when LeBron missed the three and then everything changed just two seconds later. For sure. You know, um, it was incredible. Uh, but anyways, we hope that you thought that this podcast was incredible and that you'll share <laughs> it with your friends if you did. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media on Instagram. It's at backseat.banter. And on Twitter, it's at official. Again, Instagram is at backseat.banter, and Twitter is at bbpodofficial. Uh, Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.